0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive, center field, the wall! This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. And
0: just like that, we have a no-hitter on consecutive nights in baseball for the first time since April 30th and May 1st, way back in 1969. This time... My Bronx Bombers, baby! Welcome hey, into w- fantasy sorry, baseball. Sorry, what was
1: the? I, I, I'm I'm confused at what what was the what was the stat? That was the first
0: time consecutive no hitters have uh, been pitched okay. since April
1: 30th I, and May 1st back in 19. I thought you were doing a bit no, about no. how long it's been since the most recent no hitter. No, no, because no. <laughs> it's been I mean a whopping 20 hours. We'll get into between no hitters. We'll
0: uh, we'll talk about that on, on more of a macro level too because I don't want to take anything away from Corey Kluber. The guy has been through a lot the past couple of seasons, and you know we were kind of dismissive of it last night with Spencer Turnbull. So I you know I apologize to you Spencer Turnbull. We should give you more credit because I still think it is something that is tough to do to throw a no hitter. Is it easier now oh, than yeah. ever before? Sure. But it still is an achievement, and, and we should look at it that way. So uh, welcome into Fantasy Baseball today. It's Thursday, May 20th. Frank Stanfield joined by Chris Towers. A few other things we have to talk about today. Starting pitchers who bounced back. Early round hitters who have struggled. We have to talk about Shohei Ohtani because, duh, he was on the mound. Velocity was down. We'll talk about that. Uh, some more bullpen updates. Is Chris worried about Emmanuel Class A? Hmm, we're going to find out. Chris, you're in a good mood. You came in here today singing some Rick Astley, never going to give you up.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was um I was playing Warzone right before the game started and that's one of the songs that plays when you're in a car in that game. So it just stuck in my head. Never going to get, never going to get. That is get awesome. Reminds me of my uh,
0: Grand Theft Auto Vice City days. Way back in the oh, day man. when you're just driving around and and they're playing the awesome soundtrack. 80s music or or whatever they're playing. I should have I should have been this age in the '80s, Chris. But uh, we'll say we'll save that for another day. Let's talk about Corey Kluber, the Klubot. He throws the sixth no hitter in baseball this season. Only reason I say six, Chris, is because the MLB is not recognizing Madison Bumgarner's seven inning no hitter. So you can argue it, but yeah, there have been know.
1: seven no hitters this
0: season. Sure, uh, and the second one in two nights, of course. Uh, but before we get into Corey Kluber specifically. Let's just talk about no-hitters in general, because I saw an awesome stat that you put out last night, Chris. Uh, So let's talk about it from just like a macro level, like what's going on in baseball right now. Obviously, we know there are more shifts than ever before. BABIP is down. There's more strikeouts, and that's why we're seeing more no-hitters. But what was that awesome stat you had yesterday on Twitter?
1: Yeah, so this was yesterday, I I believe. The stat was, if you count Madison Bumgarner's no-hitter as a no-hitter, There have been as many no-hitters thrown by pitchers in Major League Baseball this season as there have been five-hit games by hitters. In the past five seasons, there had been 11 no-hitters and 113 five-hit games. That's insane. (laughs) I mean, look, some of this is just random. Anytime you're talking about... I mean, obviously, like the results of baseball games are not random individually. You know, each game is... The result of the performance of the two separate teams and other factors involved—it's not random. There is, you know, human, uh, you know, human involvement in them. But when you're talking about as a whole, the outcome of every any given game is pretty random. And so, anytime you're talking about effectively randomly distributed events, especially like a no hitter, which is very rare, occasionally you will have a stretch where they cluster, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Sometimes things just happen. Um, last year during fantasy football season, I remember there was a point where Ezekiel Elliott had like four fumbles in five games or something like that. And he had... Uh, I, I did like a random distribution thing on Excel and I put his career fumble rate in there and I just did like, here's what it would look like over a thousand carries. And at one point, it was a totally random thing. At one point, there was a stretch of about... 60 carries where he would have fumbled four times just with a completely random distribution. So these kinds of things can happen and not mean anything. They mean something right now. these, These are remarkable achievements. They are like Corey Kluber pitched extremely well tonight. Spencer Turnbull pitched extremely well last night. But what's happening is games that you know, there's always been pitchers pitching extremely well. There's nothing new about that. No hitters seem to be happening more often because hits are happening less often, which is, you know, a very natural uh, conclusion. But the weird thing is they've been clustered around three teams Cleveland, Texas, and Seattle have all been no hit twice now.
0: That is um, also very weird. And
1: that means that if you pitch against Cleveland, Seattle, or Texas, Based on the results so far, you have a 5% chance of throwing a no hitter. There is something random about that, but I don't think it is meaningless. And I don't want to say it's not impressive. And I don't want to say, I don't want to take anything away from it. But what I will say is, I was watching Lost tonight with my wife. We're almost through uh, season six. I got the notification Corey Kluber has a no hitter through eight innings. And we just kept watching the episode. And.
0: Well, that's just because you're a Yankees hater, but
1: we do exactly. I'm also famously <laughs> biased against Spencer Turnbull because I did the same thing last night. And it's just because, like, I don't want to say they've lost their novelty for me, but
0: it's... I don't think it's crazy to say that or there's anything wrong about saying that, Chris.
1: I mean, when yeah, it happened
0: just, this, it's, this often, it's, it's okay to say that. That it's well, lost it, its novelty.
1: If it was happening this often, but it was just because, like, six different pitchers had just been so freaking locked in, but it's happening this often, at least in part because of changes to the offensive environment around baseball. And unless major league baseball introduces a new ball in July, which wouldn't surprise me they've done before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, I think it would be a really bad look if they did that mid season since, you know, we're seeing some pretty extreme changes this is the offensive environment we have to play with moving forward. And so it's kind of created an environment where there are more viable pitchers um, and streaming is a more viable option. I feel like it's been, you know, I don't know if we tagged Spencer Turnbull as one of the streamers for that night. I was trying to think back to Tuesday's podcast. If we had, or Monday's podcast, if we had, Um, I'm not sure either, but it definitely feels like, you know, kind of every night there's a streamer or two who just has like a random great performance in a way that hasn't necessarily been true. And maybe that's just what we're dealing with now is that there's just more options at pitching.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, one of my biggest takeaways there is what you mentioned, the three teams that have been no hit twice already, Cleveland, Seattle, and Texas. Those are teams that you should be streaming your pitchers against. If, you know, not everybody has got off to a great start in pitching this year in terms of if you play in a Roto League or if you're struggling in a points league. You know, it was. it's very likely that you have a rotation that includes Luis Castillo and Charlie Morton and Kenta Maeda and Kyle Hendricks. And if that's the case, then you're struggling at pitcher. And also, if that's the case, then you want to be streaming against those teams. So I think that is a big takeaway from all of this. Uh, let's talk about Corey Kluber more in depth here. We're just going to make him the joint, oh my goodness gracious, player of the night.
1: Oh my goodness! Gracious.
0: He finishes with nine strikeouts to just one walk and he did go off to an extremely slow start this year, but as we kind of cautioned people while it was happening, April has been the worst month of his career consistently. He is a slow starter and I don't think that would have been any different this year coming off a year where he pitched one inning with the Texas Rangers last season uh, and he was limited by injury the year before as well. So over the last five starts for Corey Kluber, including tonight, a 1.79 ERA, which has coincided with his changeup usage going up. So that pitch has been great for him. Uh, so what do you think about Corey Kluber, just in general, Chris? Right now he is obviously rising up the rankings, and rightfully so. Uh, which should you consider selling high given his injury history? And for some reason, even after this start, he has a 4.17 X fit, Which when I when I dive into the numbers, I really don't see it. The walks are kind of high, but. He gets an okay amount of ground balls, the swinging strikes are very high. Uh if you're just looking at performance, guess, I don't think you should sell high, but tell me what
1: you think about Kluber. My guess would be and this is only a guess, but my guess would be that xFIP is either they haven't updated the there's a constant number in in xFIP for one league ERA and then for for xFIP you have um you know it it attempts to normalize home run to fly ball ratio. And so if it's normalizing for a 2019 home run to uh, fly ball ratio, which is 15% and he's got an 8.3 home run to fly ball ratio, it's going to overstate what his expected uh, ERA should be. It's worth noting the league XFIP is 4.07. So right in line with the league ERA, which is 4.07. So does also tell you that like, there used to be a time when if a guy had an ERA around 4 but he was getting a bunch of strikeouts you'd be like eh he's a fine fantasy option not this year 4 ERA is not good for fantasy anymore 3 5 ERA is just pretty good it's not going to get you anywhere close to first place at least so far um so i'm i'm a little less bullish you know it's hard for me to get as excited about a version of Corey Kluber who's at You know, he's probably around 9% walk rate right now. Um, But, you know, he's... I think I had him... Yeah, I I need to move him up. I had him in 82nd at starting pitcher, and that's obviously too low. I can move him up to... Whoa there.
0: I I have him at SP45. Scott has him at SP49.
1: Yeah, that's too high for me.
0: I just look at that range, and it's... Eduardo Rodriguez has slowed down, though. The underlying numbers are still very good for him. Yeah. Sean Mania has slowed down a little bit. Montas has been just... He's been mad. Not good, yeah. Uh, Zach Eflin is fine. He's okay.
1: Like, Robbie I, I Ray, like Zach Eflin more. Uh, Robbie Ray has been pretty good. Uh, but I, I like a lot, Robbie Ray a lot more. I feel. Like, I think Robbie Ray has made some real changes that are benefiting him. Sure, sure. No, I,
0: that's fine. But I just think that if, if Kluber is healthy, which he's shown to this point, he's... You yeah, know he's not Cy Young Kluber from two, three, four years yeah. ago, but can he be eighty percent of that? Eighty-five percent of that? That's that's a top fifty, maybe even a borderline top forty starting pitcher. So
1: yeah, I, I'm slotting him in at fifty-seven, but I could be, I could be talked into higher. I could, you know, it, it's the kind of thing I feel like a broken record at this point. But the specific ranking doesn't matter so much to me right now because we're still adjusting to this new offense environment and what it means. And so it's a lot harder for me to, it's a lot harder for me to have a strong opinion about where anybody fits in right now, just because I don't know how much of what we've seen is for real. I don't know how much of guys who are struggling is just, they're getting used to a different ball with different seam heights or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's too early to say in the season anything definitively, really. Especially because, like, with Kluber, he's changed his approach so much this season. You said he's throwing his change up a ton more. Um, yeah, I mean... That hasn't historically been a great thing for him. Yeah, he's um, kind of reinventing himself, which yeah. we've seen... And anytime r- that happens, my concern is always, what does it look like? Like, he's made the, the counter. He wasn't being effective early. Hitters were hitting him hard. He's made a counter now. Mm -hmm. what does the counter to that counter look like? So far, you know, tonight was great. He gave up, what, four earned runs in his last start? I'm still inclined to be pretty skeptical of him. Yeah, he had uh, four earned runs in his most most recent start and six strikeouts, three walks, and the one before that. So it's like two really good starts in his last four, one pretty mad one, one that was okay. I think he's good. You know, my, my concerns about him just being finished, those are mostly gone now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've seen really good stuff from Zach Eflin. We've seen really good stuff from Marcus Stroman. We've seen really good stuff from, you know, I don't really know where to put Zach Allen now, but he's above uh, Kluber for now. I, we've seen really good stuff from Jamison Tyone. We've seen really good stuff from a lot of pitchers this season that makes it really, really hard to say. Any one guy is better than any other guy outside of you know the handful of really really good proven guys.
0: Mm-hmm. So you would be all right trading him for one of these slow starting middling hitters, Lourdes Guriel, someone who you like a lot. You would make that I swap, would, Kluber yeah.
1: for for Guriel. I, uh, I have a hard time seeing Kluber being so instrumental to my success moving forward that I can't move him for a need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Guriel. He did go 0 for 4
0: on Wednesday, but I believe he had yeah. four multi-hit games in a row before this one. So, slowly coming on, and I pointed out yesterday, his best month in his career is June, so it looks like Guriel uh, could be ready to take off. Uh, how about someone like Charlie Blackman? Would you be all right with that?
1: I think I probably would, but yeah. I wouldn't feel great about it.
0: Last one, Josh Donaldson. Spoke about him the oh, other yeah. day. Yeah. yeah, I would
1: rather have Donaldson.
0: All right, so I look some people people need offensive help in fantasy baseball right now. There is no doubt about that. Uh, before we get to news and notes, just want to fire up the uh, the thuometer. What is that? Uh, well, it's the worryometer on a Thursday, duh. It's Shohei Otani was pitching. He was on the mound. He was up against Cleveland, four and two thirds, two earned, two walks, five strikeouts. So the command uh, the control was not terrible in this one. He finished with 11 swinging strikes. however, 91.3 miles per hour. He averaged on the fastball. Coming into Wednesday's start, he averaged 96.6 on the pitch. I do have some quotes. Uh, First from Joe Madden, Said there is nothing wrong with Otani. He said the decreased velocity was just because, quote, he wasn't feeling his fastball tonight. Also added, you can see the velocity. And when that happens, coaches and managers and trainers start looking in his face. To see if there's any wincing, any pain. There wasn't any of that. He came in, and there was no indicators other than the gun on the scoreboard. Otani went on to say, "quote I'm not worried about any injuries. I think my body was just feeling really heavy and sluggish." So, uh, worryometer, thermometer, Chris, on Otani in this start. I have no idea how to answer that. Um, this is scary, man. I mean, a guy being down five <laughs> miles per hour, and this is kind of what I meant a couple of weeks ago Chris we spoke about how I don't want Otani to pitch and mm-hmm. it's not he's awesome to watch there's no doubt about it when he's on yes I want to see him do both but based on the contributions he gives you as a hitter he runs into more injury risk than
1: the average yep. player
0: because he's, he's just on, on the, the field more yes
1: like that is just, and he easier. has more opportunities to get hurt even if you don't think he is more likely to get hurt than any other player per like opportunity. Yeah. Um, the fact that they are, you know, seemingly pretty adamant, there was nothing wrong. I'll be a coward and say it's a five and that's just, it could be really, really concerning or it could be nothing. And so I'll just, I'll average the two out and say it's a five, um, because he was still really effective and, you know, given the control problems we've seen him have, it's not out of the question that, like, if he threw a little less hard, maybe he could uh, be a more effective pitcher, you know, be less reliant on the fastball. Maybe there's something to that. But it sounds like this was just a weird game. And as long as, you know, he's feeling fine and he, you know, goes out on on his bullpen day in three days or whatever it is, and, you know, there's no... Oh, he—he, you know, felt a twitch, twitch or whatever. I guess I have to not be concerned.
0: Yeah, I think this is just a reminder to keep everybody grounded a little bit on Otani, as awesome yeah. as he is. And again, we, we talk about the guy seemingly every every day on this podcast, and rightfully so. But this is, you know, this is part of the downside with Shohei Otani. So just keep that in mind. I wouldn't be going out and. Sending any, uh, trying to trade him just because I'm I'm scared of the situation. I I still
1: want to keep Otani on my team for what it's worth. There was one interesting thing. He threw his cutter 32 times out of or 23 times out of 72 pitches. That's a 32 percent rate. Coming into this start, it was six percent. That is interesting. Um, I don't think he even had a cutter uh, before this season. I'm not sure. You know, he didn't throw any curveballs. So I wonder if maybe the you know, he does throw a, sl- a slower slider. It's like 80 miles an hour. Tonight it was 78. <laughs> um, uh, maybe the cutter is replacing the, the slider. Maybe the slider is replacing the curveball. I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting. It's something to watch. We're watching every, every single like editor, English teacher, journalism advisor I've ever had in my life is going to cringe if they hear me say, well, the most unique player in Major League Baseball history. And he's still figuring things out. You know, we're watching in real time this guy who, with, you know, a level of talent we've never seen before. Figure out what he is, and he had a one start previously where he threw the curve, the cutter, twenty four percent of the time, uh, and otherwise it's been like five percent. That was back on April twentieth. So th- this is interesting. I'm not sure. Uh, what to make of it but it speaks to how absurdly talented he is that he seems to have just added a new pitch that he can work in and out of his repertoire uh, the only good news honestly that came out of this was uh <laughs> he was moved to
0: right field after he pitched which means he now has three appearances in the outfield so if you play in a five game position eligibility league like we do on cbs that means he is two pitcher starts away because I assume they're going to continue to do this uh, from getting outfield eligibility, which would be awesome. The PGA Championship is back at the Ocean Course at Kiawa Island Golf Resort in South Carolina, and you won't want to miss any of the action. To keep up with all of the drama, watch the PGA Championship for free on the CBS Sports app by visiting CBSports.com slash PGA Championship via your Paramount Plus or TV login on a connected TV Big weekend in the golf world. So make sure to check it out. Chris, we are 25 minutes in and we've talked about two players. So we're really going to have to keep, (laughs) we're going to have to be short on the rest of our analysis for the rest of the night. So keep that in mind. News and notes Fernando Tatis returned off the COVID IL on Wednesday and he reminded everybody of his stardom. He finished four for four with his 10th home run of the season, two doubles, and his eighth steal. Maybe the time away helped with the shoulder. Obviously, something he dealt with earlier, but. Either way, he looks perfectly fine, and I think he's the number one shortstop in fantasy. There you go. Hot take. Cattell Marte was activated from the IL, but did not start on Wednesday against the Dodgers, which Chris and I were talking before was kind of weird. I didn't really see a reason for it, but okay. (laughs) Jacob DeGrom played catch on Wednesday and will make a rehab start for low A St. Lucie on Thursday, which means he will not start for the Mets at all this week. Noah Syndergaard allowed one hit with no walks while striking out five in four innings during his rehab start for low A St. Lucie. Apparently, he was sitting 93 to 95 miles per hour. He averaged 97.7 miles per hour on his fastball back in 2019. It's his first start coming off Tommy John surgery, so yeah, I'm not freaking out, but it's it's probably going to tick up, I would assume, for Syndergaard. Uh, Pete Alonso yeah. was out of the lineup due to a sore left wrist. Framber Valdez will make another rehab start on Saturday for Triple A Sugarland. I love the name of that team. That is just the, the Sugarland
1: Skeeters, right? Is is that is
0: that their mascot name?
1: The Skeeters. That, am I thinking of a different team? Oh no, I think you're right. Yep, that sure is the Sugarland Skeeters. Yeah. Sugarland Skeeters. That's one of my favorite. I mean, so many great minor <laughs> league team names, but yeah.
0: What is, Sugarland
1: Skeeters is, is a great one. What is that? Um, <laughs> following my, a mosquito. Oh, <laughs> do most people know that? Or or Doug Funny's best friend.
0: Uh, following Wednesday's game, the Rockies optioned infielder Alan Trejo to AAA. This sounds like Brendan Rodgers will be called up on Friday. He is 29% rostered, only has second base eligibility as of now for the Rockies. Chris, what leagues should Brendan Rodgers be rostered in right now?
1: 12-team Roto leagues for sure. Yep. And... Yeah, I think that's probably it. I'm not so sure about points leagues or, you know, a a, a shallower categories based roster like a like a Yahoo league where you're not necessarily using a, a middle infielder, but he is second base eligible only right now, I believe. Um and that alone could make him a, a viable starting option. I mean, shortstop's been a little worse than we expected too, but that's true of every position. But you know, second base might be the position where I've certainly had the hardest time finding guys. And, you know, hopefully he plays regularly. He should be. I mean, the the best case scenario is not, maybe not, I don't want to make the Trevor Story comparison, but, you know, a good batting average, good power, good speed guy. Like, he has all of those tools. He's he's someone who, coming up as a prospect, there was talk, you know, he could be a future batting average batting batting title contender with course field as his home park. So, you know, he could be a very, very good player.
0: Yeah. Let's say he plays. This is optimistic because he would need to remain healthy, but if he plays a hundred games, the rest of the way, if he can hit yeah. 280 with 10 to 12 homers, six to eight steals, something like that. I, I think yeah. that is doable for Brendan Rogers. So just to give you some kind of idea of what we are expecting, he does have shortstop eligibility on Yahoo. So oh. there you go. Alex Kirilov began a rehab assignment at AAA on Wednesday. Twins manager Rocco Baldelli said Ken Maeda should be good to go in their upcoming series against Cleveland. Eric Fetty and Tanner Rainey were placed on the COVID IL for the Nationals. Chris, your boy, Eric Fetty, man, in the Scott White Dynasty League, he was carrying your team. I think you really need things, to make a trade for multiple starting pitchers. I'm just going to I mean, that out, things
1: though. are really falling apart right now because I just lost <laughs> Mike Trout, too. Oh. Uh, I think Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor, might be out for a long time, right? Yeah, this uh, Chris, it's things sa- could be taking a real negative turn for for your guy Chris. It sounds like you can really use
0: Jose Barrios, Drew Smiley, and Lourdes Gurriel. Just gonna throw it out there. I, I sent an offer that's currently pending, but it sounds like you could really use those guys. Alex Cobb will be activated and start Thursday against the Twins. Dylan Moore was placed in the aisle. There's late- no
1: way you would do Pablo Lopez instead of Drew Smiley, right?
0: Uh, it's. I think it's just too much for me to give up, man. I know that was your original offer, but it's just, it's a lot. It's too much. Miles Michaelis is set to make his season debut on Saturday against the Cubs as he returns from a shoulder injury. He is 23% rostered. He has not pitched in a regular season game since 2019. Chris, any interest
1: in Miles Michaelis? Given how many starting pitchers there are who are viable right now, he's pretty low on the totem pole.
0: Fair enough. Taiwan Walker was placed on the aisle with left side tightness. Michael Pineda was placed on the aisle after having that procedure on his thigh yesterday. Uh, Will Myers could return from the COVID aisle this weekend. Gleyber Torres returned on Wednesday and was batting fifth for the Yankees. The Braves demoted... Uh, I don't get this one. I, the Braves... I picked up Tucker Davidson in a few leagues, but the Braves demoted him back to AAA after his quality start on Tuesday. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he'll be back. The Rays placed Luis Patino on the IL with a right middle finger laceration. And for those in Dynasty Leagues, the Orioles' first-round pick from last year, Heston Kierstad, is gradually getting back into shape and remains without a clear timetable to make his professional debut. He was diagnosed with a heart condition last fall. So anyone, if you have him in Dynasty... That is the latest news on Heston Kierstad. What we're going to do is take a quick break, but when we return, some starting pitchers who had some big bounce-back performances on Wednesday. We'll do it next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative,
1: legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, We Know Talent. Visit RobertHalf.com today. Let's start off with Luke. Frank, you got your you got yourself a gosh darn deal. We did? It went through? Yeah. Oh whatever. Whatever. Who needs prospects? Oh. Who needs Trevor Rogers? All right. I All could right. be dead before the 2022 season. All right, so... I don't even know what Austin Hendrick looks like. <laughs> People are probably wondering, what, what, what just
0: happened? So in the Scott White Dynasty League, there's a 24-team head-to-head points league. I traded, Chris, a $15 Jose Barrios, a, I think, $7 or $8 Drew Smiley, $8. and a $5 Lourdes Guriel for a $1 Trevor Rogers and... Austin
1: Hendrick, Austin Hendrick and Brett Beatty
0: and Brett Beatty, who both have their minor league status still in this league. So it's a very complicated dynasty league. It's deep twenty four team head to head points. My team is terrible. That's all you need to know. Uh, It's a rebuilding team. I have Wander Franco, so I'm waiting on that. But uh, Chris is kind of in the thick of things. So
1: nice. I mean, I'm in like third place right now.
0: Yeah, no, you're getting it done, dude. Uh, Let's. Go into Lucas Giolito. He had his best start of the season on Wednesday at the Twins. Eight innings pitched, two hits, one run, three walks, 11 strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 111 pitches. And it was a huge bounce back for his changeup. I know that you recently wrote about starting pitchers and uh, their main pitches basically that are struggling. So you could talk a little bit more about that, Chris. Uh, But he threw the changeup a season high 41% of the time. 13 of his 17 swinging strikes came on that pitch for Lucas Giolito. Yeah,
1: and you know the the key thing that has really held him back so far has been his slider. Um, he had a fifty three percent whiff rate with that pitch in twenty twenty. It was just thirty one percent entering this game, and he had been getting crushed by righties. Uh, Eight sixty six ops allowed uh, compared to a six seventy ops six eighty ops allowed in the previous two seasons. So. That had been a real issue for him. You know, the slider, it wasn't like a knockout pitch. He only got three whiffs on 20 pitches, but three whiffs on eight strikes or swings is a 38% whiff rate and 65 mile per hour average exit velocity, uh, only two balls in play. So, you know, it's still too small a sample size to say that he's figured something out. But given the track record, I'm pretty confident he's going to be very, very good moving forward.
0: Yep. Yep. It looks like the Bilo window has closed for Gilito. The walks have been the biggest issue for him this year. He's given up some home runs as well. So yeah. it still had three walks in this game. I would like to see him short those things up. But the fact that they let him throw 111 pitches, he looked like that ace workhorse that we were all hoping for coming into the season. Again, Lucas Gilito there. Big Joe. Joe Musgrove, baby. He's back against the Colorado Rockies. They were on the road. Okay, it was in Petco Park. Sure. Seven shutout, Two hits. Zero walks, 11 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 93 pitches for Joe Musgrove. It was his first quality start since April 19th. And I I think we needed this one, Chris, because some people, their confidence in him was starting to waver a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, kind of rightly so, given, um, you know, how mediocre he had been really kind of since that no-hitter, you know, when he threw 114 pitches, I think, and given how much of an outlier this start to the season was, but um, this was a very good start, even accounting for the fact that you know, the Rockies... I'll just say I'm surprised the Rockies haven't been no hit on the road yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, We're getting close. Yeah, but no, this, is, this was a very good start. Um, he's had a bit of bad luck being 4-4. Four and four. That'll, that'll hurt you in a points league. But you know, all in all, a very promising start that should make you feel better about him. Um, even if you shouldn't have necessarily felt that much worse about him.
0: Same thing could be said for Charlie Morton, who we have been waiting and waiting, much like Luis Castillo, to see something. And we saw it against the Mets. A Mets lineup that is, again, it's barren. Lots of injuries, lots of underperformance. Francisco Lindor, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but he's been just awful this season. Anyway, Charlie Morton finished uh, with nine, eight strikeouts over six innings of one-run ball, zero walks. It was his first quality start since April 20th. He had 14 swinging strikes on only 79 pitches, which I I found a little interesting. Uh, Nine of those swinging strikes did come on the curve. The underlying numbers all along, they've looked great for Charlie Morton. So that's kind of why we've been pounding the table for him as a buy low, Chris. But after this start, the ERA still stands at 4.60. The FIP, 3.89. The XFIP, 3.46. So... I stand by it. I think more starts like this are
1: coming for Charlie Morton. I haven't moved him outside of like my top 25 or 26. There have been a couple of guys who've moved ahead of him, but for the most part, I haven't really touched him yet. I'm, I'm almost positive he's still in my top 30. So I'm, I'm very confident in Charlie Morton moving forward.
0: Two other pitchers who bounced back on Wednesday. Aaron Savalli at the Angels. No Mike Trout in the lineup anymore, so maybe this is a more favorable lineup to pitch against. But he went seven. He allowed two runs, one walk, eight strikeouts. That was a season high in strikeouts and a season high with 16 swinging strikes for Aaron Savale in this one. He has gone six-plus innings in seven of nine starts. Zach Eflin bounced back against the Marlins. He allowed two runs over six with six strikeouts. Anything you'd like to add, Chris, on Savale or Eflin?
1: No, I think Savale is probably pitching over his head with a 330 ERA. And I think, um, but I think he'll be a solid starter moving forward. He's, him and Zach Plezak still right next to each other in my rankings and forever linked they will be uh, (laughs) right around the 45 range. And Eflin, I'm pretty sure his peripherals are even better than his 377 ERA. I know, you know, that wouldn't be necessary an elite or even very good ERA this season, but. 3.00 3.00 FIP 313X FIP uh, I would imagine the XERA is in that same range because it was coming into the start. Um all in all very encouraging. I I think we have not given Eflin his due on this podcast. I have him 49th. I'm not sure why he shouldn't at least be you know where Seval and Plezac are. I feel like we had we mentioned him recently in a conversation and There's a little bit of dismissiveness, but he's just really solid, man. He's been weirdly inconsistent as a pitcher, as in like we don't know what kind of pitcher he is (laughs) because he kind of keeps changing every year, but I think he's good. I think that's fair, yeah. We
0: probably have not given Eflin enough due this year. He has not really changed up the pitch mix much. He's throwing the change up a little bit more this year, uh, but he does have, it looks like, He throws five different pitches at least 10% of the time. So the arsenal is a little bit deeper this year than ever before for Eflin. And the biggest key for him, 57 strikeouts to five walks. This is by far the best control we've ever seen from him. Not that he's ever been a bad control pitcher, but uh, 0.78 walks per nine. After this start last year, that was at 2.3. The year before it was at 2.6. So just stellar control from Zach Eflin so far this season. Chris, let's take a look at some struggling early round hitters. We've got some emails recently asking about some of these guys. So I felt like it was time to just bunch them all together uh, and, and kind of talk about what our confidence level is in these guys getting back on track. And we'll start with Trevor Story, who went over for. 4. On Wednesday, the counting stats, they still look fine. 24-run score, 21 RBI, four home runs. I think that's a little bit low for Trevor Story, but he still has seven steals, so he's helped you out there. Only batting 258. so the batting average and the power in particular, Chris, down a little bit. Doesn't have as much protection in the lineup. Nolan Arenado, no longer there. Uh, one of the biggest things I noticed for him, he's got a seven seventy-six OPS at Coors Field this season. Ooh. Yeah, He's got a nine seventy-eight career OPS in Coors Uh, So it seems like that's been down so far this season. Uh, What's your confidence level in Trevor story getting back on track
1: Uh, on a scale of one to 10. I would say I'm a nine. He doesn't really like nothing looks different. He's actually got an identical ex Woba to what he did last season. It's 10 points behind uh, 2019 and his actual Woba is nearly 50 points lower than 2020 and over 50 points lower than 2019 He's the kind like you should expect him to outperform his ex Wobo because of course fields. So I think he'll be fine. His strikeout rate is not alarming. His walk rate's where it should be. He's hitting the ball about as hard as ever. I, I don't have any concerns about Trevor's Story. The only other thing
0: that stood out to me for Story is that his ground ball rate is up a tad. It's thirty six percent, but that is not egregious by any means. Um yeah. It just it affects the overall numbers a little bit. I think if those turn it's into th- maybe, yeah. If those, it
1: was 30% last year. It was 34% the year before. So that's that's one of those, like like I was talking about earlier, that can happen randomly without any actual change. And I think it was
0: a good point that you brought up about Rockies hitters. When you look at their StatCast page, if you do, baseballsavant.com, some people actually ask. That's the website if you want to look up StatCast numbers. Yeah. But uh, they're always going to, the expected numbers are always going to be worse for Rockies hitters because. I guess the stat cast algorithm just doesn't really factor in Coors Field. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's a it's unique really hard place. Too, I think it's a unique yeah. place. I mean, there's just no doubt
1: about it. There's such a, it specifically impacts the way the ball moves. You yeah. know, that is one of the ways, specific ways in which uh, Coors Field, and I think it has the largest outfield in baseball, which is probably also pretty hard to, uh, to account for when you're talking about hit probability. Let's take a look at Juan Soto, Chris. He had three hits, including his
0: fourth home run on Wednesday. He is batting 290, but we have received some emails asking if the shoulder might still be an issue, and maybe it is because he usually hits too many ground balls. Juan Soto, but this year it's all the way up to fifty-nine percent, and not every shoulder injury is create, created equal. But we have seen shoulder injuries sap power and you know cause something like this to happen. So, uh,
1: what is your Your worryometer on Juan Soto, Chris. I I think it's got to be like a one, just because. Like if we if they came out and said, "Yeah, his shoulder's bothering him. It's going to be an issue all the rest of the season," I would probably have to be a little higher. But you know, one, you would think the left shoulder for a left-handed hitter would be less important for uh, their swing. You know, obviously that is something that you could see affecting a, a hitter's launch angle, but. You know, and just thinking about how you swing, I feel like that would be more. I guess it could, your back shoulder could impact your ability to get loft. I could see, I guess I could see that. But I don't know. He's mostly still hitting the ball as hard as he ever has. He was never going to be as good as he was last season. That was, you know, a, a really, really ridiculously good 40 something games for him. But there's no reason to think he won't continue to be one of the best hitters in baseball moving forward. All of his underlying numbers suggest that.
0: Yep. His expected batting average is 315. His expected slug is 545. This is Juan Soto that we're talking about here. And something that I, I say all the time, Chris, about some uh, a hitter who hits too many ground balls is they need to maintain a very high exit velocity on fly balls yep. and line drives in particular. And this season, Juan Soto has a 100.4 mile per hour average exit velocity on those batted balls which is actually better than it was last year. So I do think more yeah. power is coming for Juan He is second the, in baseball. Yeah. He
1: doesn't qualify for the leaderboard, but he would be just ahead of Rafael Devers if he did it. John Carlos Stanton, obviously number one.
0: My boy, Manny Machado, he went over 4 on Wednesday, but he is batting two twenty-five with a seven sixteen OPS. He has saved his season by running more. He has six steals yeah. already in just 43 games nowadays. Uh, he has six home runs. Counting stats still look fine. It's a great lineup. So I, I don't think those things are going to go away. It's expected numbers, not nearly as good. And I think, Chris, he's gone back to hitting more fly balls than yeah. he did last year. Last year, 22% line drive rate. That was by far a career high. He's got back to hitting a few more ground balls and a few more fly balls. He's always hit a lot of fly That's balls. Thing. And that helped him in Camden. And, and with that ball that we continuously talk about, I, I just think that those... Those are kind of turning into lazy flyball outs. So I'm yeah. not as confident in the batting average now for Machado moving forward than I was coming into the season.
1: It's something we talk about a lot in in you know this modern era when we you know have the baseball savant uh, page open is like launch angle and his launch angle slightly down from last year, but it's 15.6 degrees in 2014.2 20, right now. The thing about an average is it's a collection of a bunch of different numbers and then you divide by the the numerator or whatever. If you hit a bunch of batted balls at 20 degrees of launch angle, that's really, really good. If you hit you know, a third of them at 20, a third of them at 8, and a third of them at 32, you're going to have the same average, but the consistency isn't going to be there. And so that's what we're seeing from him, I think. It's just he's... Like you said, a few more ground balls, a few more fly balls, and they're coming out of that line drive bucket. And that's what you don't want to see. But he's also, like, he's got an 11.5% home run to fly ball rate. Even accounting for the new ball, that's just bad luck. Manny Machado should be at least 15%. So he's lost a couple of homers like that. All in all, I think there's very little reason to be too concerned about him. And I would be trying to make some buy low offers if anybody's worried I could see
0: final numbers
1: similar to what he did in 2019, Chris.
0: 256, yeah. 32 homers, 81 runs. Actually, no. The counting stats are going to be better. I could see him mm-hmm. approaching 200 runs plus RBIs, maybe even exceeding that. Uh, he only had five steals in that 2019 season. He's, he already has more than that. So he's probably going to wind up in somewhere in that 12 to 15 range. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. Um, but I, I do think 250 to 260 is probably where we settle in for Manny Machado on the batting average this year. Francisco Lindor... We've been waiting, and waiting, and waiting. He went 0-4 on Wednesday. He's batting 189 with a 582 OPS. In 96 games since the start of 2019, he's batting 236 with a 696 OPS. Now, there is nothing right now in the underlying numbers, Chris, that says Lindor is going to be much better. He's going to be better, because he's he's not going to hit 189. But there's nothing there. But... He also there's has- nothing
1: in the underlying well, and there's nothing in the underlying numbers that said that necessarily says, wow, he looks broken. You know, like he's not striking out all that much. His average exit velocity, right around where it should be, his hard hit rate, actually a little higher, but that's normal given the 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 ball that we're playing with. I'm not saying that there's no reason to be concerned. And I'm not dismissing his struggle so far. And I'm not saying there are specific I can't point to something and say that right there, that is how Francisco Lindor is going to turn this around. It's kind of like Luis Castillo, where the the pitcher, not the former Marlins, Mets and twins second baseman. <laughs> um where like it just kind of looks like he's not playing well. And I, his bat at ball, swing the
0: batted ball data is is it's weird, Chris. It's weird. 13% yeah. line drive rate, that's by far yeah. a career low. Last year was 25%. 49% ground ball rate, that's high. Yeah. 12% infield fly ball rate, it's not the highest mark of his career, but it's three times it's as, not, as it's much not as great. it was last year. Yeah. I'm just saying, based on what he did in 2019, we, we might just still be holding on to that season. Kind of what we said about Blake Snell recently, we, we might just be holding on to that with Francis Goulindor. I still think he's a fantastic player. I'm, I'm not taking yeah. anything away from him. But 32 home runs, that came in a season with the juiced ball. I just think that we're sure. probably not going to come anywhere close to that again. He's not a 195 hitter, for sure. But he also used to hit, like a well, not even a decent amount of fly balls. I don't know. The batted ball date is weird. I He will he's bounce back, been- but my confidence level is, is not as high as it was a month ago.
1: He's kind of always been a player who's been a little hard to figure out. And you know, it could be a situation where he was maximizing his home run potential with a with a juiced ball in a way that can't be sustained now because it's not like he has, you know, massive raw power where he's blasting 420 foot shots. But it like I said, it, it reminds me of Luis Castillo where it just kind of looks like he's just a little off He's swinging at fewer pitches in stri- inside the strike zone, but he's also swinging at fewer pitches outside of the strike zone. So that that's that's hard to make sense of. My sense is he'll be fine. You know, maybe if we redrafted, I wouldn't rank him as a top twenty-five player anymore, but I wouldn't be selling him for like seventh-round value right now. I would still. I, I think if you have Luis Castillo or Francisco Lindor, your only option is to hold. For sure.
0: You have to hold him because you're not going to get anything close to the investment that you paid. And, and I don't think that he's going to return an investment anywhere close to the second or third round pick no. that you used on him. Uh, what is the highest ranked? Say you have a just a ton of starting pitchers on your team, Chris, and, and a bunch of depth there. Who is the highest ranked starting pitcher that you would offer for Francisco Lindor that is realistic to acquire him?
1: my rankings are very different from everyone else's. So that that's a, a little bit of a hard exercise to do, but do you think, so like Kevin Gosman had another
0: great start on, on yeah. Wednesday and he's got a sub two ERA. Do you think Kevin Gosman gets it done
1: for Lindor? If you sent that trade offer, would you do it? I think so. I what? think you could, you could absolutely do that. And I'm not sure that I would do that. You wouldn't um, give up your Gosman to get Lindor. No, but I don't think I would need to. I think Lindor moving forward would be the more valuable player. But I think, and looking at my trade chart, like I do have Lindor ahead of Gosman. So you know, if you want to go by that, I'm a liar. Um, liar. But there's, there is a difference between my sober, rational, you know, attempt at valuing players and saying this is what I think they will be worth moving forward. That's how I do my trade chart. I, I do it like my auction values in uh, the preseason perception is very, very different from what I'm trying to do. And so I don't think you have... I would... I think Lindor will be better than Gosman the rest of the season, but I wouldn't necessarily do that trade unless I really, really... If I got off to an awful start with my hitting and I needed a spark, that is the kind of thing that if Lindor does hit, I mean, that could could go a long way to turning your season around. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know... I don't know. I'm struggling with this question. Would so. you give up John Means? I, 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 again, I would hope I wouldn't have to. Um, I, I'm thinking more like... Julio Arias? If I could get him for... I don't think I would do that either. Oh, man. But I'm I'm saying that is in, like, I would rather... Like, I would think I could do Aaron Savale for him. And I would definitely do that.
0: I agree with you, but I don't think... I don't think, and even a Lindor fantasy manager who is yeah. struggling in pitching, I don't think that they would accept Savale. That's just, I think that's, uh, yeah, it, it's really hard. Yeah,
1: um, Freddie Peralta, like, would you do that? I would do that, yes, because I do have questions about one, how sustainable what Peralta is doing, and two, how many innings he's going to do while while throw while doing it.
0: All right, let's move on. We had a pair of double dongs on Wednesday. Trey Mancini had three hits and he now leads baseball with 38 RBI. So shout out to Mancini. Got off to a bit of a slow start, but he's Amazing. really coming along. I moved him inside my top 15 first baseman inside my top Same. 35 outfielders and Same. 100% deserved. Trey Mancini looks a lot like the player he was back in 2019. Randy Rosarena also had a double dong. He's now up to six home runs. So he's lagging a little bit there. Uh, But he's coming around. And just a reminder, spoke about this the other day. He has lowered his ground ball rate from 67% in April to 41% in May. We hadn't seen that come to fruition yet, but on Wednesday it did. And it helps playing in Camden Yards, of course. So uh, there you go. Some nice double dongs from Trey Mancini and Randy Arrozarena. A few names that might be available on your waiver wire. Do you want them? Kiké Hernández had three hits with his fifth home run of the season. He returned on Tuesday and has led off both games for the Red Sox. As expected, thirty-three percent rostered. Chris, I don't think Kiké Hernández is like a great player. I just think his lineup context is great, man. Like if you're leading off for the Red Sox, I kind of feel like his
1: roster rate needs to be higher than thirty-three percent. He needs to hit better than he has so far, is what it comes down to. In, in a in an ideal world, yeah like the the leadoff hitter for the Red Sox should be an incredibly valuable player, but that hasn't really been the case for him so far. If he can, can if he can be a high 700s OPS bat, which I think he's at 767 right now. So if he can be a little higher than that, especially in the OBP, that's that's where you would really want him to be better because 308 OBP, you're not going to get to take advantage. If, if anything, that might be a worse spot for him to be hitting it. You'd rather him sitting fifth if he's going to be a 300 OBP 460 slug guy. For some because reason, he's not going. Yeah, go ahead and finish your point. Oh, he's just he's not going to score as many runs as as he quote unquote should from that spot. For
0: some reason. Alex Cora just has so much confidence in him and, and loyalty yeah. He's base, as long as Kike Hernandez has been healthy this year he's been in that spot so uh, worth mentioning the Red Sox only play five games next week so if you're someone who likes to chase volume that's not the case for Hernandez uh, these two hitters could be available in deeper leagues are you interested Chris? Jonathan VR has three home runs and two steals over his last seven games he is triple eligible on CBS second, third and shortstop 28% rostered Gregory Polanco Went two for three on Wednesday, hit his fourth home run, added three RBI. He now has eight hits over his last seven games, and he even picked up his first hit against a lefty. He is now one for 21 against lefties this season. Uh, But he has four homers and four steals in just 32 games. So Uh, Polanco's kind of coming around, Chris. Any interest in VR or Polanco?
1: Uh, VR should probably be rostered in any Roto League that's deeper than 12 teams or 12 teams or deeper just because of the stolen base potential and the fact that he is playing so much now and likely will moving forward, given all the injuries on the Mets, um, at least for the next couple of weeks, you would think. So yeah, I mean the, the stolen base potential, he could swipe six or seven bags in the next two weeks and it doesn't matter what else he does. That's going to have value. Um, Polanco, I've got a lot of outfield problems in a lot of leagues. I'm currently starting Enrique Hernandez uh, after I just added him while we were talking. And I'm at Rosario in one league where I'm somehow competitive. I love how I brought up Um, Enrique Hernandez and and you
0: kind of poo-pooed it and then you added him.
1: Well, you know, (laughs) that's... (laughs) What? Situations being what they are. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I would prefer not to have to rely to add Gregory Polanco in that league. And I'm not going to do it right now. But, you know, a couple more good games, maybe.
0: I want to talk about Garrett Richards. He was at the Blue Jays, six and two thirds, seven hits, two runs, four walks, five strikeouts. Uh, He now has allowed two runs or less in four of his last five starts. This is Garrett Richards, 35% rostered. Chris, any interest in Garrett Richards?
1: He's kind of been pretty good all year. Uh, But not great at any points, really. So it would have to be probably deeper than 12 teams for me to be rushing out to get him, unless it's a two-star week next week, which it might be. Oh, They only play five times, so it probably won't be.
0: No, it won't be. He is a one-star pitcher against the Braves next week. Could be a two-star pitcher the following week. Yeah. Don't love the matchup there for Garrett Richards, but uh, if you want to stash in advance. Logan Gilbert. Oh, man, we... We waited 58 minutes to talk about Logan Gilbert, but uh, he wasn't really good. Again, his second start of the season yeah, against to talk about. the Detroit Tigers. He has had two prime matchups against Cleveland and against Detroit. He allowed three runs over two and two thirds. He only threw 43 strikes out of his 74 pitches. We've got a hold here, right, Chris? We have to be patient with Logan Gilbert.
1: Yeah, I think you want to give him some time. It, it The the command wasn't there today. You know, From what I saw, he was having a lot of trouble with his breaking balls, especially. He's got that slider and the knuckle curve. Um, You know, the fastball's, you know, a little harder than I think we expected it to be coming in. Uh, It wasn't quite as hard this start as it was last time, only 93.8 miles per hour, but uh, I I would still be holding. You know, he's outside of my top 60 at starting pitcher right now, whereas he was someone who probably could have moved up really quickly if he had gotten off to a good start.
0: Let's quickly wrap up with the call to the pen. Some very interesting bullpen updates on Wednesday. For the Giants, in a 1 0 game, Jake McGee pitched in the eighth inning. Then the Giants scored three runs in the ninth, so it was no longer a save opportunity. But clearly, they were saving Tyler Rogers, Tyler Rogers, rather, for for the ninth to face the top of the order. So, uh, do you think we are closer to Tyler Rogers just being the guy, Chris? Or. Do you think this is still a matchup-based situation because it's Gabe Kapler, yada, yada, yada?
1: Uh, I think he is the most likely person to get the next save for the Giants. Tyler Rodgers. You know, uh, Tyler Rogers,
0: yes. Okay. For the Tampa Bay Rays, Diego Castillo uh, recently returned from injury. He was used in the eighth with a three-run lead to face the five, six, and seven in the lineup. Pete Fairbanks was used in the ninth. He converted the save but did allow a run. Pete Fairbanks is only 17% rostered, Chris. Uh, Diego Castillo's usage has kind of been weird since he's returned from the I.L. Do you think they're yeah. just slowly ramping him up? Uh, who do you think gets the next
1: save opportunity there? Castillo or Fairbanks? I think it's probably Castillo. You know, I'm not Did Fairbanks even get half of the save when Castillo was out?
0: No. I, he didn't I get a single he didn't get a single one.
1: Yeah, so I I, I think Castillo's gotta be the choice. I mean, he might not be, you know, maybe you take the field over him for the first one. but uh, I would say he's most likely to get most more of the next five or 10. I, I would not be dropping
0: Diego Castillo, but I think with his injury, the timing of his injury, they've kind of fallen back into like Tampa Bay Rays ways. So, but it could
1: just be like, he could go out and strike out three in his next outing and they're like, all right, we're going back to him.
0: Yeah, definitely. Or it could be, uh, we're yeah. going to have five different saves from five different relievers over the next two weeks for the Tampa Bay Rays. For yeah. Cleveland, I don't know, Chris. I don't know. Is it happening? Yeah. Emmanuel Class A, he was used in the eighth in a 3-2 to two game to face the bottom of the lineup, 8-9-1 and one in the order. James Karantrak used in the ninth for the save, his second save in as many days. And Emmanuel Class A did, was not used last night, and he hadn't pitched for like four days before that. So he was available. Is it, is it happening? Is Karen becoming the closer here? seems
1: like it might be, you know, I I can't say for sure. And after the game, Terry Francona did give Emmanuel class, the vote of confidence. Uh, He did say, you know, he is our closer, but there was something about like there were lefties coming up or, or something. I, I don't know exactly. I don't know which one of them is better against lefties. This is an, amazing problem for the Cleveland Indians to have. I think Brian Shaw has also been really good for them kind of out of nowhere. Um, They've got a really good bullpen. Yeah. Brian Shaw has an ERA below two. It's a pretty terrible situation for fantasy players, unless they're willing to just give Karen check the job. That would be bad for me with all of my shares of Emmanuel class a, but class a has walked six in his previous three appearances before this. So, You know that could be uh, playing a part in their thinking, and maybe it's just if he settles down, they'll be they'll go back to him. I don't know.
0: Let's wrap up here, Chris. We it to stream or not to stream. We'll start with Thursday: Dane Dunning versus the Yankees, Johnny Cueto at the Reds, Drew Smiley versus the Pirates, Vince Velasquez versus the Marlins, Luis Garcia at Oakland, and Cole Irvin versus the Astros.
1: Uh, Garcia and Smiley stand above the the pack, I think, for this group of pitchers. And then, famous last words: I'll take Vince Velasquez. (laughs) I knew it was coming, and it's Uh, just that has never worked out well. Yeah, it's hard to blame you, right? It's you know the Marlins are another team you want to stream against. But yeah, I mean it's Vince Velasquez, like. (laughs) if there is one pitcher who specifically has never worked out for me in fantasy, it might be Vince Velasquez.
0: Let's take a look forward to Friday to stream or not to stream. And man, I am looking through. This is not a great group. Let's see. James Caprillion at the angels, Jose Urania, uh, at the Royals, Mike minor versus the tigers, Tyler Anderson at the Braves, Adrian Hauser at the Reds. Jeff Hoffman versus the Brewers. Uh, Tristan McKenzie versus the Twins. This is is a very bad group, Chris.
1: Yeah, my... I I, kind of like undecided against the Orioles... Uh he could be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is there's so uh, many Undecided versus the Marlins also could have a very va- Undecided versus the Twin the Indians. We have, we have love a lot of all those guys. We have a lot of TBDs as of now. Undecided's gonna have a great day on Friday. Um gosh, I really want to say Tyler Anderson. He's been really good. Uh I actually have him in a bunch of leagues. I Braves think have not been good against righties this season, but Tyler Anderson's
0: really- a Tyler Anderson's a lefty, Chris. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Not that. Right. I, I mean, I'm sure you don't watch like every I Tyler Anderson was start.
1: I, was I thinking of Chase Anderson? I think I was thinking of Chase uh, well, Anderson They in they, my head. When they are they, yeah. are kind no, of similar. Tyler Anderson has been good. His peripherals are actually better than I think he's gotten credit for. I guess I would go with him against the Braves as my top one. Um,
0: Minor had a good start his last time out. He's going up yeah. against Detroit. I don't think Mike Minor's good, but I'd probably go with him. Yeah. I like what I saw from James Caprillion. He's probably not going to give you a lot of volume, but I I would put him third on that list. Yeah,
1: Angels with no trout. Yeah. That's that's not a bad place to be.
0: All right. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.